fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast, Rebel News, and talk about George Soros and his secret control over indigenous land defenders. Of course. With my friend, Caitlin. How are you, Caitlin? Ready for this episode. <laughs> are you? <laughs> as ready as I can be. You sounded like you sound so into it this time. So we're only having one episode this week, and hopefully it's all going to fit in nice and neatly into this one. We're a bit delayed because my kids had ear infections. So note to people who are listening, if you want to stay not sick, don't have kids. <laughs> Good idea. It's a new month, and that means we get to say thank you to our old and new patrons. We would first like to thank our $5 a month patrons, and that includes Durka, Tim, Darren, Anthony, Ryan, and Sarah. You are Laurentian elites. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. Are you laughing because you're dying? Chill out, bro. Chill out. It's just excited. Leo was super excited for our patrons as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we would also like to thank our $10 a month patrons. That is right. We have a new $10 patron. So thank you very much to Nicholas and new patron Ken. You are the official foreign funded environmentalists of the Imperial News Podcast. What's your message to world leaders today? is that we'll be watching you. How dare you! If you too would like to join these incredibly awesome human beings, you can donate at patreon.com slash imperial news. And thank you to everyone who has already donated. And now, the Imperial Roundup. Dog shit for the Imperial Roundup too. <laughs> He's awfully excited for this episode. <laughs> Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. We begin on February 24th, and Ezra is upset about the cancellation of the Tech Mine project. For those who don't remember, the Tech Mine was a several billion dollar project to basically start a new uh, oil sands in Alberta. That has been canceled, and they released the statement about why they they canceled it. But Ezra really he doesn't grapple with the reasons for why they canceled the thing. They, he never like actually reads any parts of the letter to his audience. I mean, he mentions it briefly, but basically dismisses and ignores those reasons. They passed every test, by the way. They spent more than $1 billion just filling out the application form, really. But they simply aren't going to go forward with the next $20 billion in the absolute malicious anarchy that is Justin Trudeau's Canada. Matter <laughs> talks about a public debate and global warming and things like that. And it's true that text mine 
would have had very low carbon dioxide emissions if you're worried about that sort of thing. But none of that is relevant to why they canceled. Like I say, they passed all the regulations already. They were approved. They were lawful. They had their permit. That's right. Did you know that we lived in a completely anarchistic hellscape in Canada? <laughs> I will say the one thing that he's sort of highlighting there, and it's even in the letter itself, is this idea that somehow they were going to have low carbon emissions. Now, the letter doesn't exactly state that, but what it was that Tech Mine was trying to appease the kind of like emissions regulations already in place in Canada. But that doesn't mean that it was going to, like, what is less carbon emissions? Less than what? Like, Ezra is not very explicit about what he means by that. But if you're taking oil from dirt and trying to separate the two, that's going to use energy to separate the two. And then when you then take that oil to market, you're going to burn some of it and it's going to go into the atmosphere. So there's like no way you can <laughs> like to talk about this as clean in any way. It's kind of weird, even though you can maybe like minimize it compared to other oil sand projects that came before it, maybe. But Ezra's main reason to think this company pulled out is because he thinks that tech mind thinks that Canada is no longer a place where the rule of law matters. It's all just anarchy and chaos. Could you imagine our international listeners hearing this? Because yeah. <laughs> that's definitely never a depiction in any anybody's head about Canada. <laughs> like every time I go to travel and go to other countries, it's always, oh, how polite and nice we are and how civil we are as a, as a population. So yeah. no, we're anarchists, all of us. In the, in the letter itself, the company is actually very explicit. And what they say is they don't want to invest the money in a project where there is a lack of clarity on environmental regulations. That doesn't mean we have anarchy, obviously. That just means that the company, part of it is they're aware of where the world is moving towards environmental policies. Mm -hmm. And they're aware that the government is receiving pressure. And so they're like, do we want to invest all this time and energy in a project that we're not even sure is going to pass because of this issue? Yeah. Which, and like, you could tell like Ezra just sort of like glides over that part, even though that was the main, I have no reason to doubt what the company wrote in that letter when it comes yeah. to that. Which to me is actually a very, like, it's a wise business decision. It's the most responsible thing. Because there's a lot of companies out there that wouldn't do something like that. And I think in the long run, that business is probably going to succeed because they're thinking about the future and projecting the possibilities of what can happen. Whereas there is a lot of businesses that would just be like, this is a great deal. We're going to make tons, right? Like, let, let's yeah. just go for it and not actually realize the impact it's going to have, you know, five years down the road on that company. Exactly. Nowhere in the letter does does the company reference the like blockades and stuff, which I'm guessing is what Ezra is referring to yeah. by this anarchy. Yeah. And even then, when you think of what has happened so far, there's been pressure and obviously publicity. But I don't think like the rail has been so disrupted that <laughs> and and there's been cracked. I mean, the other funny thing is like he he is not once on this program talked about what happened uh, near Belleville recently. The Tyanadaga, uh, yeah, uh, indigenous people who were arrested. He has barely even mentioned the fact that the Wet'suwet'en were arrested off their land. So he keeps on like trying to spin this narrative that the police are on standby and not doing anything. 
And the thing is, they're being selective. And I don't know why the government is being selective in some places. I think they're trying to work out their PR while also trying to maintain a situation like any government would do, because they're not just going to send... They probably saw what happened when they did what they did in Tyanadaga. And then, or not only that, they saw what happened, what they did in Wet'suwet'en, because that, that, that caused the blockades. And then when they did it in Tyanadaga, more blockades occurred after that. So it's like, you realize, is sending the RCMP or the OPP going get, to get the liberal government what they want? Probably not. So my guess is that's the reason why they're not sending it in. That doesn't mean that there's anarchy. They're making a practical decision on the ground, which is <laughs> a lot different. There's this general consensus, though, that these people are, like, uncontrollable. They're, they need to be taken care of. You've been seeing the rise of people saying to, like, actually harm people that are participating in blockades. And there has been a rise of racist acts towards indigenous groups of people because yep. of the blockades and because of this liberal government and the choices that they've made. And it's extremely unfortunate. And, I mean, as it was just... He's just playing into his audience right now because that's those are those are. It's actually like really sad because I've been seeing like news stories about this and I'm like awesome like the the walkout that just happened yesterday yeah (laughs) (laughs) I took I was like what day is it (laughs) um like we reported it here with London CBC and I'm looking under the comments and people were saying to like, Oh, we should run over students that are protesting on their own campus. Like I was really confused. I was like, where are you going to run them over? You're going to go onto concrete beach, which is a university community center and hit them with a car. Like you're going to jail. Like, like, well, I think they marched up a Western road there. Whatever. But even then. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just like, what? Like, yeah, let's let's kill people for let's kill standing up for... Or it was like saying things like, I hope all the students, like, like I saw comments, like telling them to like, get a life and like, go like, I, I'm like, they're in school. Like, what do you mean get a life? Like, I was like, you're the one that's like 40 year old man commenting on the CBC article. But the, that's all I saw. I didn't see people being like, yeah, kudos to the students, right? Like, good on yeah. them or anything. It's a lot of these negative attitudes. And I mean, that happens with all types of causes and protests where people feel like this is annoying, right? They're a bunch of whiny babies. I've heard that sentiment over and over again. But there's just so much negativity around this specific cause. And it just goes to show how we actually treat Indigenous groups in our in our society and how yeah. devalued they really are. I will say that with the comments on online news articles, aggrieved bigots are highly motivated and so what you're going to find is that a lot of them are going to gravitate to these news sources and post those comments yeah but they still represent a small at least that kind of bigotry is a small minority of the country but i do think like a lot of canadians don't have positive like sentiments towards indigenous groups the last polling i saw i think support for the blockades was on the higher end of 40 percent okay close to 50 so it's about half and half but what i'm saying is even then like i'm talking about more of a spectrum here even the people who oppose the blockades only a small chunk of them are going to be the people who are advocating running over the protests. Yeah, no, that's a, that's true. But there, there's a lot of people, like, other things too, like, you know, bring in the police, arrest them all. And I'm like, yes, Linda, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> bring in your five police officers in London, Ontario, and, like, arrest, what, 200 students? I was like, good one. Good one, Linda. Like, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it is. But, of course, I mean, we're going to get to it. But I think a lot of this violence 
is emanating from like right-wing outlets like the the rebel. So then once they're done talking about that aspect of it, Ezra turns to Trudeau's treatment of indigenous people. So this is where Ezra gets to pretend that he's secretly a fan of indigenous people. So he specifically highlights Justin Trudeau's treatment of Jody Wilson-Raybould. And then he highlights Justin Trudeau's treatment of the Grassy Narrow people, as well as he plays the clip of when the person supporting Grassy Narrows protested one of Trudeau's speeches. And he said, thank you for donating and was a smug prick about it. And those are moments where I do agree that Trudeau is terrible. And I'm at least somewhat glad that Ezra is signaling those things to his audience. Because yes, we should care about Grassy Narrows. I do think that what Ezra is doing here is more using it rather than actually coming from a place of wanting to treat these people better, you know? But then Ezra uses this framing to suggest that TechMine actually loves Indigenous people because of jobs. And that's their whole thing. It's like, TechMines, they're going to bring in jobs. And somehow, like, that's the thing that's going to save Indigenous people. If we just sprinkle them with jobs, all the problems in the universe are solved. And Ezra does ignore that the indigenous people who are leading the fight against the pipelines and oil sands also matter in this fight. He just completely ignores them, or as we see, he calls them fake all the time and says that they're not even real. There is one conspiracy idea that Ezra has said in previous episodes that I've kind of ignored, mainly because I I didn't know what it was. And I was just kind of like, that sounds weird. I'll look into it later. But uh, this time I decided to look a bit further. The media is the worst, of course. These past weeks they've peddled disinformation that the railway blockades were either done by Indians or in solidarity with Indians, particularly those with Suatane First Nations up in northern BC where that coastal gas link pipeline is proposed to be built. But, of course, that's a lie. I, I, I told you that 20 out of 20 bands up there support the pipeline. And when our own Kean Bexty went up there to check it out, who these protesters were, he really saw just a bunch of white guys who had come in from Ontario. Um, It was a fake protest. Look, that guy, that guy there, he's from Ontario. We identified him. Um, They're not real Indians. They're a corporation funded by the Tides Foundation. It's not a real Indian band. So the Tides Foundation. This is what we're going to find out. So he said this before on previous episodes, and I've just glazed over it. I'll just start with, I can't find the beginnings of this conspiracy theory. But it is being promoted right now by someone named Patrick King. And Patrick King is one of the promoters of Wexit. And he's also someone who's dabbled in white genocide conspiracies. Now, what it is, is it's the part of the depopulation. And a lot of people don't understand what that means. And what there is, is there's an end game. It's called depopulation of the Caucasian race or the Anglo-Saxon. And that's what the goal is, is to depopulate Anglo-Saxon race because they are the ones with the strongest bloodlines. You can find a lot more about Patrick King, and I recommend that people do, on the Anti-Racist Canada blog, which has been referenced on our podcast several times. But uh, just to fill it in of why Patrick King, why I've like linked a lot of these conspiracies coming from Patrick King, it clearly predates him. But the main reason is that Patrick sat down with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs back in June of 2019, and brings up the possibility of the Tides Foundation funding these protesters. The hereditary chiefs respond to this accusation by indicating that the money is being used 
for conservation purposes, specifically in terms of water quality, and that this is all in the open and communicated to the government, which is why people know they actually receive this funding from the Tides Foundation. The video that Patrick took was roughly two hours long, at least according to him, but so far he has only released this five-minute clip of the indigenous people talking about this. And the five-minute clip ends with Patrick asking a question. <laughs> and the question he asks the chiefs at the end is why they're taking money from the Tides Foundation and not the government to do this like water quality testing. And he spins this as like, they can just get it from the government. Like, but you didn't hear what the answer is from the chiefs. And so my guess is either they don't trust the government to do this or the government isn't giving them the funds for whatever reason. Yeah. But I haven't found out the information to that. However, the chiefs are clear that the money received by Tides does not go to the protesters. It's only for this water quality stuff. Now, why would people think <laughs> that the Tides Foundation would want to pay protesters? Well, as far as I can tell, the issue is that the Tides Foundation received money from George Soros. I knew it. knew it. <laughs> I was like waiting for it. I was like, George Soros is going to come in here somewhere. And here's where it gets a little bit more complicated, which is that George Soros has uh, funded the Tides Foundation. And it's not clear to me that the Canadian part of the Tides Foundation can be directly connected to George Soros's funding of it. Because there's like the American version, which is the one that George Soros has funded, and then ours. And it's not clear that there's a money crossover there. And yet, that doesn't stop people be, by saying like, this is the George Soros funded Tides Foundation, which is everything that Patrick King says in all of his videos. And where I'm guessing... Ezra is getting a lot of this conspiracy thinking because I can't find it coming from any other source other than these kinds of sources online. Mm -hmm. And we know already that Ezra do, like talks about George Soros paying protesters, so it's not a surprise leap. In other words, Ezra is echoing the talking points of white genocide and anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists in order to dog whistle to his audience that the Wet'suwet'en are being funded by globalist Jews to fight the oil and gas industry. I don't know why they think George Soros would do this. Like, why? What does George Soros have to gain by funding protesters to stop oil and gas projects? I sit here and think, like, I tried to think of, like, what their grand conspiracy, conspiracy narrative could be. Because it's George Soros. But here's the thing is, uh, if you're anti-Semitic, the UN is some secret Zog government, like, like a Zionist-occupied government. And so they're just the Jews trying to control the world kind of thing. But I either way. I just feel like George Soros, like just the name, once it gets highlighted, it's like, this has been a huge sham. This entire, <laughs> it's all George Soros. You know, that's what you, like every protest I've been to, people would be like, we all know they're George Soros-funded protesters or like, George Soros is, funds it, then no one actually really cares about these issues. It's just a, it's a media show, right? Like, it's none of it's true. It's just these billionaires trying to, like, play chess with people almost. I don't know. And I guess anyone who listens to this podcast regularly and sided with Ezra would be like, but you, you talk about the Cokes all the time. But the difference there is, like, the Coke family, their, their whole industry is oil and gas. So they actually have a self-serving reason to want to 
Yeah. Like, say these protests over here are bad because global warming isn't real. Like, they have reasons to want to say global warming is reason because of profit, yeah. right? But then, like, I don't understand what the reverse argument is about George Soros. Like, what does he have to gain from this? He's... And that's the thing that, like, Ezra never, like, finishes that sentence. So there is one argument out there that this movement of environmentalism is all fabricated in order for businesses to, like, it's like a business plot. Like, they're going to... Like, he's secretly funding... Or, like, invested in green energy. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's the new trendy... I've heard that about David Suzuki and Al Gore. I was just going to say, (laughs) like, Al Gore, for instance, people are like, well, you know, he lost, right? So it's very convenient that he he made uh, the inconvenient truth because that helped him get a lot of of boost ratings. But I'm like, it's not like he did anything afterwards. No. No, it's like, what did he gain from that? Like... Well, like, conspiracy theory I had heard but it, which isn't true was that like david suzuki and al gore were colluding with each other to sell like energy efficient light bulbs <laughs> no but you, <laughs> you know you that market for energy efficient light but bulbs. i get this and like keep in mind i have a conservative family right so it's like you go to the store and you see like the new green product and my mom will like say to me oh uh, this is all just yeah. a bullshit scam they just want your money but then i'm kind of like they actually lose money by selling this product because it's reusable and she was like, oh, you bought into it, Caitlin. <laughs> oh, like you bought into it? I bought, I fell for it. They I tricked got... you into saving money, Caitlin. <laughs> yes, that's what she said. They just get you on these environmental schemes. That's all these businesses. That's why they care about this environment. All this stuff is hogwash, Caitlin. You fell for it. Or direct trade. I'm a huge huge fan for direct trade and the reason why is because you know being italian and going and visiting italy i hear stories about how uh even fair trade and free trade has actually really impacted the italian uh, economy like for instance we have a really hard time of like i think it's like olives and almonds they're we're over farming them and then a lot of the farmers aren't getting compensated properly and it's actually like really taking the damper on our agricultural um, sector. And so I started looking into direct trade, which is uh, better than the than the fair trade and free trade. And I try to purposely buy products because I know it actually goes into the, to the farmer's pocket. Yeah. I haven't done too much research to know how well that is, but it's the same thing I've told people. And they're like, that's just a huge scam. <laughs> like they have a, an association that like legitimizes if the product is and so i found you know certain hair products lotions that are actually cheaper than the generic brands that you just get at like shoppers or something like that and i've done my research and then it's like i'm the idiot for falling for this but i'm saving money i'm using less waste it's actually more convenient for me too but i'm the fucking idiot and i don't understand this argument it makes me want to look into this as like a psychological phenomenon because it Reminds me as well as the of the aversion to even like green energy technology of just like all the articles you see about all these complaints about wind energy and solar energy about like random things like the blades are so big and they can't be recycled or and they break down and then it's like how much of that is true or people just like because uh, I imagine like other things like nuke uh, nuclear energy and oil and coal all have parts of their manufacturing processes that break down and it can't be recycled easily and right Mm -hmm. but for some reason 
this new energy technology is the thing that everyone folk has like complaints about at every level, right? Or it's even like reusable bags at the grocery store. Like I've heard people complain about that, like how it's so annoying that they have to like now they're only paper bags. Or, well, no, or it's like you have to like pay for plastic bags. I'm like, just fucking buy a reusable bag and get over it. And then you like, what are you going to do with that plastic bag anyways? Like people just collect them too and like just have well, them. The, the reason why I said the paper bags, not to like promote this company, but Sobeys has transitioned to just paper bags now. They oh. don't even offer plastic bags. Okay. And I imagine there's people out there that are just fucking livid with <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, fucking. It's like a dollar for a reusable bag. Get over yourself. Yep. But moving on, we get to the interview segment of the show, and it's with Lord Gunter, <laughs> who's super pissed about the closing of the tech line, which isn't that surprising because for the last like month, every time Gunter was on, it was like, oh no, Trudeau's not going to pass the tech mine. I don't know what that accent is, but it's not Lord Gunter. <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've given him a bit more of a prospect prospectors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Silver and gold. All of Gunter's work is pro oil and gas, and it makes me wonder why. But I haven't found any like direct evidence linking him to uh, oil and gas companies. But Mike, it's like I just can't figure out why him in particular. All his like articles, all his stories tend to focus on this issue. I did find out that he won an award by, again, the Canadian Taxpayer Federation, which is a group that comes up frequently on our show. And again, that organization was funded by the Kochs. But uh, there are right-wing George Soros, so I'll move on. <laughs> it is possible that he just happens to be pro-oil and gas, and that is why the oil and gas people like him. Like, that's the other option. Because it's much easier to award someone who's already spewing your propaganda than to encourage someone to write about what they don't already believe. Yeah. But also notice the double standards. Ezra, Gunter, and their friends all have connections with the oil and gas lobby, including foreign sources of funding like petroleum magnates such as the Kochs. And yet they spend all their time getting mad at the wet sweat and hereditary chiefs and try to undermine their legitimate concerns because they publicly publicly disclosed the money they received from the Tides Foundation to pay for better water quality. But it gets worse because even Gunter starts justifying violence against the blockades. I don't know. I don't know where we're going to go at this point. It's a little early in the process. But what one of the things I am prepared to predict is the next time somebody decides to put a barricade or blockade on a rail line in Alberta, I don't think you can expect People like Guy Simpson, the, uh, the unemployed oil worker who pulled down the one outside Edmonton. I don't think you can expect them to be polite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm quite worried that people will say, look, there's absolutely no point in me being nice, in me being polite, in yeah. me being nonviolent, because every time we do what's asked of us, we're simply spat upon. That was the first time that I had heard Gunter use that strong kind of language. And it's the same kind of justifying that Ezra has been doing on his show for the past several months, which is that why, why be nonviolent? Or like, I understand if people want to use violence because I understand if they're really upset, you know, people get out of control. So like, I understand yeah. it. It's the same fucking justification that they keep on doing. February 25th. Ezra wants to talk about Trump's trip to India. 
And in the beginning of the segment, Ezra, of course, will mock Trudeau for his past trip to India, where he dressed up in a lot of clothing. Mm -hmm. And then he praises Trump as a strong man. And then played a clip of Trump being like walked out to the stage where he gave his speech in India. And they played Macho Man to like bring him into the stadium. Like, I guess what he's trying to do is create this contrast between Trudeau's kind of like weak capitulation to the culture of playing dress up and all this stuff with like, look at this strong man and macho, macho man. But like, I I hate both of them. (laughs) I know to his audience, Ezra's audience, that of course they want a strong man like Trump. Yeah. They're into that shit. But it's just weird that Ezra would sort of like feed into that. Like, not hide the fact that he's basically advocating for a strongman dictatorship. But there it is. Most of this episode is Ezra just playing clips of the Trump speech and then him going, All right! And those are my least favorite episodes. He did the same thing with the Kanye West thing and all that. When he does a a clip show, the clips, it's like 90% clip to his like 10% talking. And then it's like, what's the fucking point? He's giving them the information. Yeah. They might have not known that clip existed, Jody. <laughs> the most important takeaway is when Trump decides to talk about radical Islam. And Ezra heaps praise on Trump on this issue, but never mentions that at the same moment Trump was in India, pogroms were taking place where Hindus were murdering Muslims in the street. Prime Minister Narendra Modi is a Hindu national nationalist who at one time banned was banned entry into the USA for his involvement in the violent murder of Muslims in India. It's really depressing that he's signaling to his audience how great Neandra Modi is and how great Trump is for supporting him, all because they share a common enemy in Muslims. He then ends this coverage by making a weird dig at Bernie Sanders, saying, look how Trump talks about Neandra Modi. And then he plays a clip of Sanders praising Fidel Castro. And that, well, praising Fidel Castro, when he plays the clip, it's literally just Bernie Sanders saying that Castro promoted literacy in Cuba, which, good, like, again, him promoting literacy in Cuba, yes, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from what you might think about Castro. So that ends that segment. And then the uh, interview is with Sheila Gunn Reed. Well, it's not only an interview. They just play this clip of Sheila Dunn-Reed doing her own thing where she's interviewing the assholes who took down the blockade in mm-hmm. Alberta and she gives them a case of beer and all that bullshit. The crux of the interview is that one of the people removing the blockade was shoved by one of the protesters. This gets into discussions that we've already had that the mere act of trying to take down these blockades is going to come into conflict with protesters who are actually doing the blockading. So you can't say you can peacefully dismantle these blockades. Like they're going to create tensions and people are going to get pushed and shoved. Yeah. People like Ezra who are offering legal advice to people who try to take down these blockades, but then like phrase it in terms of like, but do it nonviolently. There is no nonviolent way to do this. But they're trying to identify this person so that they can sue them for pushing this person who took down the blockade. And we also find out they've set up a donation page so they can help with this like uh, legal advice that they say that they're going to give out. But I, I often wonder with things like this, with the funding thing, 
whether I don't see any legal stipulation like this on their website, but I'm assuming it's somewhere there saying that even if no one uh, needs our legal advice, all the people who donate, we're just going to take that and refund it back into our company, which is uh, what I'm guessing they're going to do. Because my guess is no one's going to actually come to the rebel and ask for legal advice after taking down these blockades. And therefore they're not going to have to spend any of that money on a lawyer. So do they pocket it or do they give it back? And my guess is they probably pocket it. We're moving on to February 26th. And Ezra is complaining that Trudeau, Kenny, and Ford are all weak for not letting their police forces uphold the law against the blockades. (laughs) They're all weak. All weak, okay. Which is funny because he tends to like... This is the first negative thing I've heard him say about Doug Ford. So, Even though Doug Ford did send help with sending the OPP at the one blockade. So I don't know. Ezra is also complaining that a recent law passed by the Alberta legislature doesn't go far enough in punishing people who blockade the the rail. And I would also add uh, that shamefully, this law was supported by the NDP in the Alberta legislature. And that is really annoying. And shame on the NDP for doing that. We've talked frequently on this podcast about our support for the NDP and at least like by working with the party. And uh, I don't care. I'm going to speak up about it. We should not be supporting that shit. He then ends the episode by shooting the shit with Kian. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to continue this incestuous week of all the same Can guests. you just not get people on your show? Like this is That's probably likely. Yeah, because it's just likely. the same people being recycled in and out and the people who already work for him. So I'm like, what? what's going on? And as a viewer, wouldn't you be like, this is just bad? Unless you perceive it as like them playing their greatest hits. <laughs> it's like, play Freebird! <laughs> <laughs> It just so happens that Freebird in this case is Kian Bext. But I think one day an ordinary citizen won't be so friendly, won't be so peaceful, won't be so good Samaritan-ish and might throw a punch or use a stick to hit or, God forbid, a gun or just drive over a road barrier and drive on someone. And I don't want that to happen and I wouldn't support it if it happened. But I could understand it if it happened, because as part of a community, as part of a country, there's a social contract. We give the monopoly of violence to the government, to the police, and we expect them to protect us all. And if they sit in their police cars having a cup of coffee instead of enforcing the law, why not? If it's the rule of the, uh, the jungle, if it's the law of the jungle, yeah. why not? Why not? Because here's the thing. He has been saying... Earlier this week on their show, and we've already covered this in this show, that it is a lawless hellscape out there. The RCMP RCMP are not getting involved. The OPP are not getting involved. It's like they've all just vanished, and that's why Canada is this anarchic hellscape where there's no rule of law anymore. He's already stipulated that on his show several times. And now he's saying that if that's the case, then why not? Then why not use violence? So he's basically priming his viewers and listeners to this idea that we live in this lawless hellscape. And if we live in a lawless hellscape, we there have to run over, shoot, or punch blockaders. Yeah. There's no other way to interpret that. And that is fucking dangerous. Like, terribly dangerous. And 
I would say quasi-illegal. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> but, like, it seems to me that, that that crosses some sort of line. That seems, I mean, it's an ethical line, but probably a legal line as well. But will anything happen? Probably not, because Ezra is some white asshole with media connections. Even though they've advocated for this violence themselves, they're not going to take responsibility for that because that responsibility is Trudeau's. Something like that happens, and we're seeing that violence is possibly escalating already. The Premier of Quebec says that uh, the blockaders south of Montreal have AK-47s. I believe it. Um, something is going to happen, and if if and when it probably does, the blame will lie solely at the feet of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who has egged these protesters on and said that their cause is righteous to some degree, and then turned on a dime the next day once he realized that Andrew Scheer was pulling higher than him somehow, yeah. and said, okay, now that now this is too much, this is too much. But that kind of pussyfooting around is, is not something that the leader of this country should be doing. And the, the, the consequences of that violence are, are his responsibility to bear. Now, to be clear, I didn't cut anything out. This is literally how Kian responded to the last clip by Ezra. Yeah. And so what Kian is saying that if, prote- if the United We Roll right-wing assholes, whoever who are dismantling this blockade, that if they do violence, it's the fault of Justin Trudeau's. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Justin Trudeau, but I don't think he should be held responsible for the types of shit that Ezra and Kian are stirring up in their audience. Yeah. That's just me. And also, like, again, like, you heard that one claim about the, the AK-47 and Ezra's all, I believe it. There's no evidence that the Mohawks are storing AK-47. No one knows where Legault decided to make up this claim other than the fear monger because he's an asshole. And the Mohawks are currently demanding an apology. I don't think they've received an apology and again, it doesn't seem like there's any evidence that they have guns. Of course, things can change, and I could update that once the information's coming in. But again, you're telling your audience that not only so there's all the laws are gone, it's a lawless hellscape, and the other side is like waving around AK-47s. They're like trying to get someone hurt. Gotta move away from that shitty story. <laughs> like, how do you transition from that? They're just like openly calling for fucking violence. February 27th. Beginning half of the episode involves the budget lockup in Alberta. Basically, Jason Kenney's government was refusing access to journalists to a budget discussion. And Ezra then takes the whole uh, beginning segment of the episode to promote the idea that he helped left-wing journalists gain access to these proceedings. I got information. I talked to some of the people involved in this who are the left-wing journalists. I'm not going to name names. I will say that the media group that got into this was Progress Alberta. But basically what Ezra claims on his show is that he basically allowed Progress Alberta to use his lawyers to go fight being locked out of the budget meeting. And then he said he also gave them access to the same lawyers who are who got him into the debates during the election. And he says, you can have access to like all the information that they have. Now, the interesting thing about Progress Alberta is their employee is someone named Jim Story, who is one of the people that Ezra is suing for defamation. And so the idea here is he's saying, look, I'm so noble. I am such a good guy because I'm helping out the person I'm suing for defamation to gain access to something because I care about free speech so much. 
I am a free speech hero. And so I'll allow them to use my lawyers out of the greatness of my heart to go fight this case. The Progress Alberta people didn't want to go onto onto record on our podcast for this, but some of the gist that I got from talking with them is just that one of the lawyers involved in getting access to the budget meeting worked at the same law firm as the lawyers that are involved in the defamation lawsuit. And so they were already doing the work when further along in the process, that lawyer brought up to them, hey, there might be a conflict of interest here. Is it is everything cool? And the Progress Alberta people were like, it's cool. And Ezra's team seemed to think that it was cool. And that was the end of the <laughs> okay. thing. But he literally takes this whole episode to promote this idea. Like, he's such a noble person. He allowed them to have access to his lawyer. When it's like, it's not your fucking lawyer. It's a lawyer that works at the same law firm. <laughs> now, of course, like, none of his audience. own him. Yeah. No. He, oh, no, he owns every single lawyer at this law firm merely by using their services for one one suit. In fairness to, I think the Progress Alberta people really don't want to get, like, if, like, I can see from their perspective of, like, why care about this? We're just doing our thing. Let's just ignore Ezra. But for the sake of my show, like, I think it's important to document the fact that he gets to make up shit like this and spew it to his audience and promote himself as this, like, free speech hero. And it's like, it is so full of holes. Everything is full of holes. That's what free speech is, Jody. It's making up information. Yeah. It's the ability to say whatever you want, whenever you want, without any consequence. But here's the thing. It's like, I don't think the progress of British people are afraid, but you can see like why people don't want to engage in that shit because they're worried about any lawsuit that might come their way. So it's like best just to like leave all alone. Yeah. Meanwhile, he gets to speak to like whatever the size of his audience is. To tell them all that, like, oh, I'm this noble hero and stood up for free speech. Meanwhile, like, you're suing someone for defamation for fucking stupid reasons. But anyways, that was the opening segment. Then in the interview segment, uh, Kian is taking the reins again. And he's interviewing someone named Derek Sloan. And Sloan is also running for conservative leadership. So Kian's getting the scoop. Sloan, if you don't know, is a first-term MP for the Conservative Party. His main sticking point in the interview is that conservatives need to take on conservative social issues uh, or need to take on controversial social issues, not just stick to their economic roots. I guess you can notice this trend is all these conservative leaders that are willing to go on Ezra's show are all the ones that adopt the social conservative Mm -hmm. values, where it's like people like Peter McKay, who tend to be more progressive conservatives or what people would call progressive conservatives are the kinds that would never go on Ezra's show <laughs> for arguably good reasons yeah, for their yeah. political futures, right? Kean asks him uh, what his inspirations are, and he says uh, they're not politicians, but generals, because we're at war in this country over social issues. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin just put her head in her hands. <laughs> the the war on ideas. Oh, my God. Yes. We're at war. So it's not just a marketplace now. We're literally at war over ideas. I just read an article about Elizabeth Warren dropping out. And it was like, even though she's dropped out of the presidential election, she won in the marketplace of ideas. (laughs) 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 Share it with you later. What does that even mean? (laughs) 
does that even mean? Uh, oh, that brain just imploded with that. Anyways, so then the next question that Kian asks is about the government wanting internet companies to register. All, at least, I will say, credit to Kian, he used the word register and not licensing. So oh. I, <laughs> there you go. And it is clear based on Sloan's answer that he doesn't know what is happening. He basically says that it isn't good for the government to be limiting access to what news people get. And again, nothing the liberals have proposed so far will limit access to the news that people get. It is important to highlight that Sloan, when he announced his campaign, came under fire for tweeting that being gay is a choice. That's usually not a good thing coming from a social conservative. Although the topic about gay... And being gay, being a choice, kind of an, kind of annoys me, only because like, obviously, the rhetoric coming from the far right, especially religious people on the far right, that being gay is a choice, is used to say that this means gay people can simply choose to be straight, or be made to be straight through, say, conversion therapy. Yeah. However, what the hidden assumption is, is that being straight is the right way to be. And for me, that is the problem, not the idea that being gay is a choice. Or whatever that means. If someone in their heart of hearts honestly chooses to be gay and that they're really straight, but they're like, you know what? I'm just going to be gay. I don't really care. (laughs) They still deserve to be treated with the same rights as everyone else. It really doesn't matter. I think often the strategy used by people to combat this is to talk as if homosexuality is some kind of innate thing. And I get the motivation for this. If being gay is innate, you couldn't have an effective conversion therapy. But for me, conversion therapy isn't wrong because it doesn't work, even though it doesn't work. It would be wrong even if it did work, because being gay is not a problem that needs to be fixed. So whether it is innate, the result of culture, or some kind of choice, who cares? And I personally find that to be the better approach, because I think talk of innateness feeds into a lot of bigoted rhetoric that surrounds notions of sex and gender, and a lot of these categories. Well, I've had a debate with even like peers and colleagues because they'll be like people are just born that way and i'm like if you make if you you should just have La- lady gaga ready to like play for them whenever they say <laughs> no um <laughs> like it's, it's a really poor argument because then you get people in like biochemistry and other type of medical sciences that are doing actual studies to see like the fetal development and when does the baby get exposed to certain hormones that cause them to be gay. I've heard that from like actual PhD students in biochemistry. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are you really like, and they're like, Oh, if you have a twin, the twin is like more likely one of them's going to be gay and the other one's for sure going to be straight. Like that's just, it's genetics. It's a genetic factor. And that's such a horrible argument that you're feeding into because it's almost like that there's like a gene or a process that we could prevent from people being gay. Like that would be the next step that these right wing groups would take with that. That's what I would see. So you just manipulate the genes or gene therapy. Or almost like it's like a mutation or it's like something that's wrong. There might be genes that are related to homosexuality, but that's a lot of like... It's not just the genes. It's clearly an interaction with genes in the environment. Actually, there's been like... Some biologist that says it's nothing genetic, but it could be the environment during gestation. And in that sense, that's something about like the physical environment during, <laughs> I don't know, just during the gestation period. I don't know. Maybe someone can like, well, that's the me. thing is I, I remember there were studies about 
genes correlating with homosexuality, but it's been a long time since I've read no, research. No, that's such bullshit. And another thing, though, too, is like, how yeah, do fuck you... fuck you, geneticists. <laughs> no, but honestly, yeah. that's such a horrible claim to make because you would need to, like, take two babies from start with that same gene and then see how... Like, you'd have to have them have the exact same social influences and interactions in their entire life they can't differentiate for you to make that argument no but that's why they they wouldn't make the argument what argument they would make is something about a predisposition like having this gene might predispose that's you that's not a good argument though i mean what well, it depends on what you're saying if it is an argument or isn't an argument it could just be them saying that look gay people tend to have this gene and so having this gene might predispose you to being gay but to me it's like None of that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. None of that matters, right? I mean, especially because, like, what about people who don't have that gene yet are still gay? Like, <laughs> like, does that mean they're not, like, authentically gay? If there or, wasn't, like, I feel like if there wasn't this, I don't know, like, attachment of purity to being straight or following, like, this heteronormative script, that a lot more people would be sexually fluid. Yes, and I even think 100%. I even think that even people that are identifying as like a sexual minority or are gay or a lesbian, I don't even think they've realized that they would be a lot more fluid if it wasn't for how we've constructed sexuality in our society. So I think what ends up happening is like people tend to put themselves and group themselves into these like boxes because you're kind of told you're one or the other, right? Like it's not. Or, or the identity serves a purpose. Like I don't want to like sure. yeah, crush that's... identity, but I think like if you are someone who's in a gay relationship or identifies as gay, having that community of people who identify that way uh, is helpful in a lot of ways. A hundred percent. I just think that like some of these things would be very different in how you behave if there wasn't certain cultural 100%. beliefs about homosexuality in our society. No, I agree. I think, and it's the same thing we've talked about several times on the show about gender as well. It, it would be nice if we lived in a world in which we appreciated that things are more nuanced and that the edges are blurry and fuzzy rather than yeah. like than being discrete categories of like, you're gay 100% and you're straight 100% and there's no in between. Right. Or yeah. it's like, or it's even like your, but even the idea of like bisexuality is so silly to me too, because it's like there's some people that like I don't know what you hook up with one person of the same sex and now you're bisexual for life. Like I just I've heard that claim. Like it's like I'm like I don't really know. I don't think that's true. And you've heard communities trying to push back around those ideas, or you have people that just like it's really complicated. That's the thing. Like you, you hear a lot of stories about people's sexuality and I'm like, I don't think there is gay or straight or any of this. I think it's literally just a huge Humans spectrum. just like to fuck. It's not just about sexual attraction. It's no. also about uh, behavioral differences too because there is certain like cultures that surround There you. is no emotional attachment. It's all about fucking. That's... <laughs> <laughs> all right. So and then, so that's it. I just wanted to say that because I mean, for one, it's obviously flag that this person's bad for saying it but don't get bogged down in this discussion we should try to be moving more towards the idea of let people be whatever the fuck they want to be exactly february 28th this is going to be super short ezra is at cpac with abigail who's not a frequent person that we bring up on this show but she's the other sort of like does all those streeter type interviews tons of videos on youtube but she's an employee of rebel 
the Red Sea Pack, which is the Conservative Political Action Convention. Interesting enough, if people listen to Knowledge Fight, Alex Jones was not invited and wasn't even allowed to attend the thing. So he did his only own like offshoot side sort of thing. And recently they released, uh, the Knowledge Fight people released a four hour episode purely covering the whole uh, Alex Jones conference. And it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Alex Jones gets shit faced and was supposed to headline the conference. And then uh, I guess spoiler alert, he's supposed to headline the conference, but gets so drunk he ends up oh passing gosh. out. <laughs> <laughs> but i was surprised because ezra wasn't at the alex jones one he actually got into the the legit cpac but probably that's because not too many people know about him in america but i'm surprised he didn't because like uh gavin mcginnis spoke at the alex jones one too so i'm surprised he didn't go in solidarity during the chat that he's having with abigail at the cpac convention though ezra suggests that bernie is going to be trump's toughest competitor and I want to highlight that because there's this like weird back and forth on the show between Bernie being a socialist and he's evil, but then him also being harder for Trump to beat. And I don't know what it means yet. And I, I personally think that Bernie would be Trump's toughest competitor. I think Biden is going to be a lot weaker, in my opinion. But uh, it's interesting to see how their thoughts are going to develop on that. Can you imagine, though, like, Joe Biden winning and we're gonna have to kind of rally against him like underneath him because <laughs> you would rather have Joe Biden than oh, Trump yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is gonna be difficile they they basically say that the focus of CPAC was on why socialism is bad because they're aware that Bernie is gonna be this threat mm-hmm. that's what they set up with actually no definitive definition of what socialism no. is it's correct? just bad it's, it's just, just bad. the word in itself is horrible and therefore, yep. anyone that might be associated with it. Well, I think so. He ends the show by playing Nigel Farage's speech at CPAC. And Nigel Farage uh, was part of UKIP, was integral in getting Brexit going in the UK. Yeah. He's a douche. Uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't want to, like, nothing happened in the speech. It was basically him rah rahing socialism is bad. And we beat Corbyn because Corbyn was a socialist kind of bullshit. So nothing worth uh, playing out of that. But uh, interesting that Farage frames it as that's why they're going to win because Bernie is a socialist. Hmm. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Good luck, Bernie. Please win. So for the good news, I guess I just want to highlight the effectiveness of strikes because right now we have several teachers unions striking across Ontario, which we've brought up in the show before. <laughs> yes, we have. And we've actually seen some pushback with the Ontario Progressive Conservative government who they are bargaining with. So one of the two top issues that I think it was ETFO, um, OFFT, OSST, OS, I always screw that one up. <laughs> Ontario's oh, Secondary they, School yeah. Teacher Federation. OECTA, which I just, ooh, OECTA, I don't like that name. Um, and then the French Immersion one, as well as now out, and it's like AEF. AEFO. AEFO, yeah. A-F-O. I can't remember what that one stands for. 
Um, something with French immersion. Maybe yeah. it's a French acronym. That's why. <laughs> it is a French acronym. Yeah, that's probably why. Um, and so they've all been been bargaining with the conservative government. And the two top issues were the e-learning policies that they, they issued where students were required to take four online mandatory courses um, in order to graduate. I think it was high school. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing was class sizes. So they wanted to up class sizes, I think was 28 to 29 was around the average they wanted, the average, not what they wanted class sizes to be. So it could even be higher. Yeah. And the biggest concerns with that is, well, both of them is it's going to cut the number of job jobs available for teachers because now there's more kids to per teacher. So they're going to need less teachers. And another thing is it's going to overwork teachers who are already feeling overwhelmed and overworked um, than, than, you know, they have in the past. And so through effectively doing rotational pickets, we've actually seen them now go back on it. So the the e-policy is now optional. Like it's like you can do it, but parents can sign an opt-out form to remove the kid from having to take those those online mandatory courses and now they're saying that the provincial average will be an average of 23 students per classroom so that has significantly lowered and that's the average not higher or less I mean exactly that number it could be higher or less than and I think like this is a start I don't think this is like anywhere we need to be but I am very happy that those teachers are still sticking it out. And I know they've already rejected this proposal. Yeah. Um, and they're already pushing back, which is fantastic. But this is just to go to show strikes fucking work. Right. We got them we got them walking back on their stuff. And is- the main uh media talking lines that Stephen Lecce and Doug Ford have been spewing out to the public is that it's all about wages. They're all fucking greedy teachers that just want more and more money. And now they're coming fucking forward to say, okay, we're going back on the big two bargaining demands, which was the e-learning and class sizes. And now we're going to, you know, let it go. And that goes to show that they're fucking lying in the media, (laughs) which just makes them look stupid. And so like kudos to the unions because you're not also just doing this for the students, but I think you're also setting a precedent for other unions and workers in the Ontario province. And talking to some OSSTF people yesterday, there, there's several, like, I just wanted to highlight why I don't think this is a deal that they should accept anyways, which, and as you said, they've already kind of like rejected it, yeah. which is that, especially with the e-learning, part of the problem with the e-learning is that the conservative government wants to outsource the e-learning process to this like private company a non-unionized private company mm-hmm. to basically take jobs away from the the unionized teachers, yeah. right? You could pay them less. They're just facilitating these online courses, et cetera, et cetera, right? But this is a way of like introducing privatization into the public education sphere. And so there's reasons to want to reject it outright, not just this, not even have an opt-in, opt-out thing that they're suggesting. But even that, I've heard that the process to opt out that parents would have to go through is this like weird rigorous process to like just to opt out of this stupid fucking thing that like why would anyone want it anyways because you should have a teacher teaching your classrooms like not some weird program teacher (laughs) like it's just like kids need a teacher in the room to structure the the education center this new proposal that they put forward they didn't even put forward at the bargaining table 
No. They put it forward in a fucking press release. Yeah. Which is not how you bargain in good faith. No. <laughs> you no, bring no. those things to the table first and negotiate with the fucking teachers. You don't just blast it to the media first. And you can tell, like, getting to your point of, like, how they've been behaving this whole time. It's like they've been trying to use the media constantly to manipulate the media by talking about, like, oh, they just care about wages. And it's so transparent what they're doing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, teachers are – our parents are overwhelmingly supporting the teachers. So keep at it. If you enjoy <laughs> what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have an Instagram account, News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And I don't endorse pooping on Doug Ford's porch, but I understand if it happens. And given that we live in a lawless anarchy, why not? <laughs> Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields.